Take our Bibles, turn over to the book of Job, spelled like job. <laughs> job. All right, Job. I was going to name the, I, I intended to call this message or entitle it, A Job for Job. I like that, you know, the two J, Job and Job, and have to throw, you know, and anyway. It didn't turn out that way, okay? It turned, it kind of changed a little bit. Today, I'm going to look at the, we're going to look at the book of Job. As a matter of fact, as I got to thinking about um, trying to describe and explain what transpired and took place with Job, I realized that, well, the Bible probably describes it better than I ever could. That I don't really necessarily need to try to describe it. I just need to read it and share it, and it's pretty plain right there. And so we're going to be reading today in chapters 1 and 2 over the course of the message. And then 
As we wrap that up, I'm going to, uh, I want to address three messages from the book of Job. I'm going to give you three messages today, and, and we're going to condense them so that it doesn't last too long, okay? So <clears throat> three, three messages from the book of Job and from our passage today, things that we can learn uh, as a result of Job and his life and his experience. And so uh, let's go ahead and have a quick word of prayer now, and that way we don't have to stop. We'll just move right on through today. But again, it's great to have you with us. Father, we come to you. We ask that you would speak to our hearts now through your word, and we're thankful for the word of God. We're thankful for our salvation. I'm grateful for the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit in each of our lives that know you as Savior and Lord. We ask this morning that you would indeed take your word and plant it deep in our hearts. May the devil not be able to come and steal away the truth of it. May we ultimately apply it to our lives. May we not be simply hearers, but doers of the word. And yet, Lord, may we not simply do the right thing, but may we be the right thing. We love you now, we need you, and we just turn this service over to you, asking you to speak to our hearts in Christ's name, amen. All right, so Job chapter 1, we're going to begin reading there, and we're going to note something about Job. We're going to note his testimony. We're going to note his reputation. And notice what the Bible says in Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. I do want to do a little side note here. I don't in any way believe that Job's sons were wicked and sinful and that they were having this big blowout party Uh, at their houses all the time, and Job was so concerned that his children were sinful that he had to pray for them regularly, consistently, just as it puts it here, they may have sinned. So they may have, but then again, so have my children may have sinned too. Your children may have sinned. I don't believe that what's going on here is, is, is that there's a wicked household that came forth from Job. I don't believe that this man raised that kind of household. So my point just being is, this. I believe that what we're going to learn about Job, even in the passage, is that this is another element of his testimony, another element of his reputation that is a positive one. This isn't a result of a negative thing. It's a positive thing. Now, let's go ahead and move on, and we'll we'll go from there. But he goes on to say, and it was so in the days of their feasting, we're gone about, verse 5, that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offering burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them. 
Now let me define real quickly, these sons of God are angelic beings, okay? Be very careful. We're not talking about a bunch of Jesus's sons of God. We're talking about the angelic host here. By the way, you become a son of God as well when you come to Jesus Christ. You're not an angelic being. You're not Jesus, but you are a son of God. I don't have time to go into all of those details and to define and to break that all down. But the fact is, is that there is an angelic host that is gathering now together here in the presence of God. And the Bible says it, it, that, that they came to present themselves before the Lord. Can I tell you that there's a hierarchy of beings in God's economy? There's a hierarchy of beings in Satan's. There's principalities and powers. There's the rulers of the darkness of this world. There's spiritual wickedness in high places in Satan's economy too. Can I tell you that they are under his orders? Can I tell you that they're in this place today? I want you to know there's a spiritual battle waging and being waged in our midst today. You may not even be aware of it, but it's going on right now. And there are those uh, emissaries and there are those uh, soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ, his, his angelic host, that are also having battle with the, the demonic host. And notice what happens here now. The Bible says that there came a day, there was a day, should I say, when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them. So he slips in with them. Remember, he too is a created being. He's an angelic being that was created. He fell from the grace of God. However, he's angelic. Now notice, and the Lord said unto Satan, whence comest thou? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from hell. He didn't say that, did he? You know that Satan is not bound in hell today, that he is free and loose to go about throughout this earth, this world, and into the second heaven, outer space, to do as he pleases? And so the Bible, he, he says to him, whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth, and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job? That there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and eschewed evil. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for naught? Hast thou, not, hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands, and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thy hand now and touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, all that he hath is in thy power, only upon himself, put not forth thine hand. So Satan went forth from the presence of the Lord. We see Job's testimony here. We see his reputation, if you will. The Bible says that he was perfect and upright. God said it even. He feared God. He eschewed evil. The Bible tells us here that he offered up offerings on behalf of his family continually. He was consistent in going before God and praying on behalf of his family. God, the Bible says, considered him worthy. That's so much so that he brought him up before Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? The Bible tells us that he was the greatest of all men of the East. That he was amazingly wealthy. That he had prospered at the hand of God. So we learn that he was a sanctified man, a man that was set apart to God. He was a separated man, separated from the world. He was a spiritual man, and he was a successful man. This is his testimony. This is his reputation. But now we not only his testimony, notice testimony, but we notice troubles now. Look at verse 13. And there was a day when his sons and his daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. 
And there came, by the way, again, that's where this whole thing turns out, drinking wine. They must be getting drunk, right? Uh, There's something called new wine, too, and we don't want to go into the details of all of that. That's a whole other message. But anyway, here we go. So anyway, they they were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house, and there came a message. By the way, I got together with all my family this last weekend, and you know what happens, too, sometimes with my kids? They all get together and go play games together and have eat food and drink things. You know, I ought to be praying for them, even though I don't believe they're into deep sin while they're doing that. The fact is, is that I'm praying for them. Anyway, moving on. I just can't stand when people try to paint a negative picture in something that I believe is a very positive one. And I'm not sure that a lot of people do that, but if indeed you've ever heard a preacher preach on that, can I just go on the record saying I believe they're wrong? I don't care who they are. And the fact is, is if I'm wrong, then the Lord will make sure that I learn that before, probably before I die. And maybe even, I guarantee you, when I get there, he'll say, Mark, you are really dumb. You should have never said that. But anyway, verse 14, and there came a messenger unto Job and said, okay, here we go now. The hits just keep on coming. The oxen were plowing and the asses feeding beside them and the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them away. Yea, they have slain the servants with the edge of the sword and I only am escaped to tell thee while while he was yet speaking. There came also another and said, The fire of God has fallen from heaven and hath burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I only am escaped to tell thee. While he was yet speaking, there came also another and said, The Chaldeans made out their bands, uh, three bands, and fell upon the camels and have carried them away, yea, and slain the servants with the edge of the sword, and I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Man, I'm telling you what, it, before the servant gets it out of his mouth, before the servant's able to finish what they're saying, the next one's arriving with some more bad news. I don't believe that this is, a, is some kind of, uh, of analogy. I don't believe it's trying to say, you know, well, this happened over the course of a week. No, I believe this happened literally as it is described in the Bible. Literally, as one is finishing up with the bad news, the other one is rolling in with more bad news. And finally, he says, the other one, finally, while he was yet speaking, verse 18, there came also another and said, thy sons and thy daughters were eating and drinking wine in their eldest brother's house. And behold, there came a great wind from the wilderness and smote the four corners of the house and it fell upon the young men and they are dead. And I only am escaped alone to tell thee. Wow. We see the testimony of Job. But now we note the troubles of Job. The oxen and the asses are stolen and the servants are killed. The sheep and the servants are consumed by fire. The camels and the servants are killed by the Chaldeans. Then all of a sudden, if that's not bad enough, his sons and his daughters are killed by a great wind that comes on in and tears the house down. You know, when we look at those oxen, those asses, the sheep and the camels, we are looking at the livelihood of Job. There was no public assistance. There was no COVID relief. There was no, uh, uh, you know, stimulus check. Man, what they had is what they had. And now he has nothing. Everything that brought him success financially is wiped off the face of the planet. It's all gone. He virtually has no source of income at this point, appears. But not only that, but worse than that, he's lost all seven of his children. In one 
swoop. He's lost his livelihood. And he's lost his children. How's he going to respond? Notice what the Bible says in verse 20. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground. I don't know about you, but I could identify with that. If I received the kind of news that Job just received, if I just lost all my livelihood, if I just lost all my children, man, I might shave my head. There's not much to shave. But I might shave my head. I might tear off my clothes. I may just fall on the ground, weighed down by the burden of loss, overwhelmed with grief. But that's not where it stops with Job. Notice that he says here in verse 20 that Job arose, rent his mantle, and shaved his head, and fell down upon the ground and worshiped. Oh my. Worshiped. Man, you just lost your camels, you lost your asses, your oxen, you just lost your sheep, you've lost all your servants, and you've lost your seven children. And you worship. The first thing you do, Job, is fall on your face before God and worship. (laughs) Wow. What a response. And notice what he goes on to say. He says, naked came I out of my mother's womb. I came into this world with nothing. And naked shall I return thither. I came in with nothing. I'm going to leave with nothing. And then he says, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I don't know about you, but this is really an impressive man. Now, I know that in our lives and in our hearts and in our minds, we'd like to believe that if these things happened to us, we'd jump on the, the train and say, oh, bless God. Amen. Glory to the Lord. But I'm going to tell you, from my experience as a pastor, that is not how people respond to tragedy like that. You know, they talk about stages of grief. You know, one of the stages of grief is you get angry. And, you know, sadly enough, even Christians, they get angry at God. We get mad at God for taking away that which we love most. And that's why we get so angry, because he takes away what we love most. And yet, he warns us not to love anything or anyone above him. Job didn't seem to go through the stages of grief like we do. Job just seemed to respond the way God intended us all to respond. And you know what? It's tempting to say, well, Job's just supernatural. Job's just unbelievable. Job's just unlike everybody I've ever met. But it doesn't negate, nor does it... It doesn't negate our responsibility, put it that way. We are called. See, he is an example to us. If if I could remind you, Job, although he was perfect and upright and eschewed evil and all of that, he was not Jesus Christ. Can I tell you that he was still a mere man like you and I? He had flesh like you and I? He had feelings like you and I? He had a sin nature like you and I. But his response is amazing. 
It is off the charts amazing to me. And the Bible says, in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. Round one. Round one. You know, if you would watch a boxing match in the Olympics, they go three rounds. If you want to watch a championship bout in the professional ranks, it's either going to go 12 rounds or 15. Job, at this point, has gone through round one, and now we face round two, or he does. Notice what it says in chapter two now. Note again his testimony. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. <clears throat> so Satan must do this on, it appears to be on a consistent basis. Huh. wonder what he does that for all the time. Job's not around. And the Lord said unto Satan, from whence comest thou? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? Wow, after all that Job's been through in round one, after losing his livelihood, after losing his children, He still has this testimony before God. Hold on. It doesn't end there, though, does it? Notice what the Lord says. This is so wonderful. He says, and still he holdeth fast his integrity. Wow. What a testimony. What a reputation. Now, can I tell you something? I really, really, really want to have a good testimony before you, and I want a wonderful reputation before you. But can I tell you, when it's all said and done, the real and most important person that we ought to care about or how he thinks about us ought to be the Lord? It's what he sees us as. Because he sees us inside, not just outside. He sees integrity here. And although thou movest me against him to destroy him without cause, he still holdeth his integrity, Satan, even though you moved me against him without cause. You, you brought me to a place where I permitted you to do what you did. And even in spite of it, in spite of all of it, he still maintained his integrity. Hmm. The Bible goes on to say, verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. The Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. What a testimony. Notice his trouble, however. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the, his crown, and he took him a potsherd, he took him a piece of pottery or clay, a sharp piece of pottery or clay, or even a dull one at one point, and he takes it and he scrapes himself with all, and he sat down among the ashes. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a pretty disgusting picture being painted. 
Here is this man that was the greatest man of all the East and still is. It's just he don't have the money, but he's still a great man. And here he is on this heap of ashes and he's scraping those sores, those, I don't even want to describe it. Can you imagine the pain that Job must have been in? The agony that he must have been enduring and dealing with? But what was his response? I mean, he's already lost his livelihood. His oxen, his asses, his sheep, his camels, his servants, his sons, his daughters, gone. And now here he is with his health being severely attacked and appearing as though he will lose his very life. There's no doctors to turn to. There's no oncologists to deal with. There's no special treatments available. It's just an ash heap. And Job goes there to waller in his agony. I don't know about you, but that's an amazing picture. Why in the world is he on an ash heap? I'm not, I guess I don't fully understand. I don't know if ashes are good for boils. I, I don't know. Why in the world? Well, let's keep reading here for a moment. His response begins in verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I know it's been preached a number of times in a number of different ways. I personally, and again, this is my personal viewpoint based on what I know from the scripture, what I can tell from it, I believe that his wife was under a tremendous amount of grief. I believe that emotionally and mentally she had cracked, she had broken. And she had lost all of her children. That alone would cause a mother to just lose her mind potentially. Now, all I know is, as I look at the passage, I think it's interesting to note the phraseology as well. Notice that it says here in, in verse 9 that she says to him, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Now, that's the same word that God used when he spoke of him, and he said he holdeth fast his integrity. See, I believe that what's happening here is that God has seized the integrity of, of Job. He then invites Satan once again to test him. And now we have the wife who has broken under the pressure, emotionally is just distraught. She may be in the pits, the depths of depression. She is in a, maybe having a mental breakdown even. And she looks at her husband over there on a heap of ashes. Maybe she's not even wanting to deal with him, doesn't want to even address it because here he is now. In all of this chaos and confusion in her mind, doing nothing about it, she's upset. She's so distraught. And she says, dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. Haven't you had enough, husband? I have. I believe that's really what happened. Now again, others will disagree with that, and that's fine. But it makes sense to me. I can't imagine a wife, a mother, who's lost everything to the degree that she did at the rate that she did. Literally lost everything. They say, well, women are all about security. Well, she just lost. He just lost his livelihood. He lost all his servants. He just lost anything of any value financially. And now he lost all of his sons. And now she doesn't even have a husband to lean on. 
because he's over there scraping pus out of the sores. I just think that she's a broken wife. Hold on. I want to note something here that I think is important. But he said unto her, verse 10, what, look at his response. Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. Where's this coming from? What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God? And shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. I think this is extremely important to note, and I don't even know if I'm going to get to the messages. But I want you to note whose responsibility it is to bring order to a home in the midst of chaos. Gentlemen, I'm going to tell you right now, it is never your wife's job to bring order to your home in the midst of heartache, trouble, and loss. It's your job. You're to be that rock of Gibraltar. You're to be the one to always bring them back. And you say, well, why is that? Can I tell you that the Bible says that the wife is the weaker vessel? Now, we like to talk about that as men in our private times when we meet as men at the men's conferences. But can I tell you when trouble hits in the home, let's step up and, and really embrace the truth. Let's go ahead and be that rock. Let's say to them, listen, like we can't think like that. We can't feel like that. We can't go like that. We can't do that. We've got to love Jesus. We've got to stay faithful. We can't turn our back on the God that gave us life. We can't turn our back on the God that gave us all the good that we did have. Whether we have it now or not, we would have had nothing without him. Let's not talk so foolishly. And I don't think he looked at his wife and said, you're speaking like one of the fools. I don't think he did that. I think with compassion he looked up at his wife and he said, you're speaking as one of the women, the foolish women. Why? I don't need to hear that now. What I need is a wife that's willing to stand with me. And the Bible says that in all this did not Job sin with his lips. It's interesting in James chapter 3 verse 2, the Bible says, For in many ways we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man, and able also to bridle his whole body. Now, Job, we, we understand that as we look at James chapter 3, verse 2, there's only been one perfect man in history. And Jesus bridled his tongue and he bridled his body. He brought himself under subjection. We know this. We know that the apostle Paul sought to do so and he did with all diligence. But we also see Job now. In the midst of his hurt, his heartache, his loss, he is not attacking God with his lips. He is not sinning with his mouth. You know, it's amazing. Here's Job in the midst of his wife, just he and his wife. And Job's not sinning with his lips. You know, it's funny how we are as believers. And this is, this is true probably with all of us to some degree or another. The fact is, is that there are things I would never say in public like this because I know it's not right. But then I'll go home and say it to my wife about someone. I may, I may gossip about someone at church. I may say something that's not necessarily kind. I may be quite open to share things about, you know, I just think they're this, and I believe this. We sin with our lips in private, but then we come around each other and we act like we're so perfect. Just because it's my wife doesn't mean I have a right to gossip about somebody. I thought gossip was wrong no matter who I talked to. 
You know, can you imagine how quick it would all end if each of us just shut our mouths? Even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise, and he that shutteth his lips is esteemed a man of understanding. Job, the Bible says, he did not, he did not sin with his lips. Even in the midst. Now, there's not one of us in the room that would have blamed him if he did. I mean, he's so distraught, obviously. Uh, listen, I can, I can see him saying, wife, you're right, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it, even God, he's turned his back on me. He didn't do that. You say, he's supernatural. No, he's not. He's just a man that loved the Lord above all else. Just like he, we're commanded to do. Again, I'm not saying that you can't be normal. We are normal. But you know what normal really is? It's atomic. Normal is the atomic nature. That's normal. I don't want to be normal now that I'm a child of God. And everybody says, you're right, preacher. You're not. You're abnormal. I know. I'm abnormal. What's Paul say? He said he was counted mad. People looked at Paul and thought, you're crazy. You're not normal, Paul. You want to know why? Because he was crucifying the flesh daily. He was unique. He was different. He was unusual. And that's what we ought to be. Do you know what? That's what Job is. He's unusual. He's very unusual, isn't he? But can I tell you, he's the standard. He's not the exception. He's the standard. He's what we ought to be. I don't know what you're going through today in your life. And you know what? You may be facing some tremendous hardship. You know, when it's all said and done, Job in round one maintained his integrity, which ultimately meant that he maintained his testimony and his reputation. You may have a wonderful testimony and you may have a wonderful reputation today, and so may I. Can I tell you it only takes one time to mess it up? And then you have to work hard to gain it again. And we don't want to mess up because it's too much work to have to regain. It's not that God can't use us. It's not that God doesn't want to use us. It's not even that we can't be used. We can, and God wants to do that. But let me tell you something. It takes a lot of work to regain our reputation. It takes a lot of work to regain a testimony that's been lost. And we expect people just to forgive and forget. But only God does that. We have to understand that trust is something we have to build. Job responded in a way that is so unusual. He maintained his integrity. I mean, I don't know what I would do under that circumstance. I don't know how I would respond. I pray and hope that I would respond like Job did. I'd be honest with you. I... I don't have the confidence even that I even want to be tested on it. I don't know. I don't know what I would do. People are always like, well, what would you do if somebody held a gun to your head and said, you either, you renounce Jesus or I'll kill you. What would you do, preacher? I have no idea. I would hope that I would stand in my integrity. I hope, and I would, with, all, with all God's grace, I, God give me the grace to not, to not renounce you. I pray that wouldn't be the case, but I'm not going to stand here and tell you what I would do because I'm not there and I can't tell you. I, I don't know. We all may have an opportunity to find out one day. I don't know. Then again, we may not. 
but I do want to be the man of God that God wants me to be, and I need to work at that. And can I tell you that Job didn't just become Job overnight. And I want to encourage each and every one of us, all of us need encouraged to work at becoming a man or a woman of integrity, to work at becoming a man or a woman with a testimony like Job's. Because you know what? We may face those kind of heartaches. We may face those kind of losses and those kind of issues. Have you lost somebody near and dear to you lately? Can I tell you there's a temptation to look at God and go, maybe you've gone through a financial difficulty in the midst of maybe even of all this so-called pandemic. And you're up, God, I can't believe you let that happen. I'm telling you, it's not his fault. Don't blame God. Trust God. Can I tell you what the atomic nature really is? Here it is, and it's root, call, real, root issue. The atomic nature is simply this. Depending on something or someone other than God, that's atomic nature. And can I tell you we're good at trusting and depending on somebody other than God? whether it be to fix our marriages, whether it be to fix our lives or to fix our children or to fix our problems. We turn to the world. We turn to our own intellect. We turn to so many options. Can I tell you, that is all atomic. That's nature, human nature. But you know what? We need to crucify the flesh. And what that means is turn to him. He says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. It's adamant to depend on ourselves. Job wasn't depending on himself. He had nothing to depend on. His hope was in only one person, God. He had nothing to hope in. He didn't even have a wife to lean on at that point. I believe even she had grown so bitter because of the loss of her children. And I understand that. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. She's the weaker vessel. He is the one that should be stepping up. He's the one that's supposed to be strong. He's the one as a man that's supposed to say, hey, we're trusting God, honey. Let's keep on going for Jesus. Can't expect his wife to be as strong as he is. That's not realistic. I'm so sick. The charismatic movement has wrecked and ruined so many lives. And, and let me tell you how they do this. They say things like, women are more spiritual than men. They're more in tune and in touch with God. That's bull. I wanted to add a little adjective at the end, but I chose not to because we're in church. And I'm not talking about the cuss word either. But it's bull. And I'm telling you today, men, don't you dare take a backseat to your wife's spirituality. You better get on off your backside and get in the word of God, and you better be the one who can bring order to your home. Because if you don't, I guarantee you, there's in many cases she will not. And I'm not trying to be, you know, sexist or or bias toward men or women, I'm telling you, she's the weaker vessel. That's a biblical, practical truth. And the fact is, is that she's more emotional than you. And if you think emotion's going to carry you through hard times like that, you're out of your mind. The only thing that's going to carry you through that is faith in God. And sir, you are the one that God employed to be that faith in the midst of that home. And your wife is as strong only as you are. This idea meant, we'll let my wife be the spiritual leader of my home. You're out of your mind. She was never designed or she made to be a spiritual leader in the home. You were. There is no spiritual leadership in your home if you're not in charge. That's a fake leadership. That's secondary. I'm not saying that women shouldn't step up and bring their kids to church. By all means, do so. And you're going to have to do the best you can. We've seen it with Timothy. But she had a lost husband, by the way. She didn't have a saved husband. You saved husbands that are 
dismissing your responsibility spiritually, you are spiritual losers. You say, that's pretty mean. I don't care what it is. I'm telling you today that if you're truly a child of God, my friends, start acting like it because you're going to be faced with troubles in your life and the only person that God intended to keep that home together is the husband. If you're there, if you're not there, then God will give special grace to your wife. And if you are stepping out on your responsibility, I believe God still puts special grace in a woman's life to be able to do things he was never intended to do. But my friend, let me tell you something. That's not how God intends it. That's not what he wants. That's not his perfect design. It's time that we start acting like Job men. It's time that that we get so rooted and grounded in our faith that when trouble comes, we're steady. That we're still men of integrity no matter how bad it gets. And that's easier said than done. But my friend, that begins with one thing. That begins with this book, the Bible, being hidden in our hearts. You say, well, I don't do a good job reading my Bible. My friend, you'll never stand when the storm hits then. I don't do good with prayer. I struggle with that. You are worthless spiritually then when it comes to hard times and difficult times in your life. Your family has no one to lean on spiritually. You're going to have to turn to your wife, and here you are sitting with your thumb in your mouth, sucking on it while the troubles are coming, and going, I don't understand what's going on. And your wife's going, honey, it's okay. Honey, it'll be all right. Honey, God will help us. Honey, and you look like a big baby over there to your kids. I'm sorry. Preacher's lost his... I didn't even get to the message, folks. There's three messages But I'm telling you, I am so burdened today because men are no longer acting like spiritual leaders in their homes. We're not the men God intends to be. And I'm telling you, we need some Job's in the home today. I hope and pray that God never puts you through what he put Job through. I don't want to go through anything that Job went through. I don't want to lose one child, let alone all my children. I don't want to lose anybody. But let me tell you something. Life happens. We don't know what tomorrow holds. But you know what? You can fix today. You can focus on today. You can become the man of God you need to be today. Ladies, you need to be the women of God you need to be. But I'm not dismissing the responsibility of a wife or a mother, but I'm saying this, gentlemen. I don't see God ever condemn Job's wife ever anywhere in Scripture. But the only reason Job is in this book is because he responded the way he did. If he wouldn't respond the way he did, if he'd have responded like 99.9% of Christians do today, then we, would pro- we it wouldn't be reading about him. He maintained his integrity. I just pray that you and I as men, and I'm talking to me too today, let me tell you something. It's easy to get comfortable in the world we live in. It's, it's easy to expect everything to go our way because that's what we've lived our whole lives. In America, we have so many wonderful blessings, but we've gotten soft. And I'm telling you, we need to prepare ourselves for tomorrow. Let's be men of integrity. Let's be men like Job. And wives, work at this so that when that trouble comes, you are there to say, honey, you're right. We're going to continue to follow the Lord. We're not going to curse him. We're not going to depart from him. I'm with you all the way, honey. Father, we come to you. We need you today. We do love you for all you do for us and all you mean to us. And Lord, again, it's such a difficult thing at times in our lives as we face difficult times, as we face troubles and trials. I think about loss and how parents have lost their children, whether they're, they're older in age or whether they're younger in age, it doesn't matter. The fact is, is that that's unnatural. That's not how it's supposed to be. And Lord, that hurt, that heartache, I can't even imagine it at this point in my life. But what I do know is that you've given us examples of how we're to respond in the midst of it. We're still to maintain our integrity. 
We can give in to our flesh and we can say it's okay, that it's just normal, it's natural. But Lord, as believers, we're to be beyond that. Our relationship with you should be strong enough to deal with it and handle it and to not go through this point where we're shaking our fist at you, but instead we're embracing you and leaning on you like never before. I pray, Father, for that person who's gotten bad news lately, maybe horrible news, scary news. Lord, I can't imagine, I, well, I can't, I can't imagine that, but, but Lord, unfortunately, Lord, there are some lonely times when you hear that news, that, that cloud that just seems to float above our head. We just can't get out from underneath it at times. And Lord, sometimes it consumes our thoughts, it consumes our mind. And if we're not careful, we begin to feel sorry for ourselves and we lose sight of you even. Oh God, may we just fall on our face before you and let you know how much we love you and how important you are to us and that no matter what, we're going to trust you and lean on you and serve you. That you've been so good to us that we can't turn our back now. You gave and you took away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh God, help us. We need you today. We need your touch. Help us to be men of integrity. Maybe there's a man in here that's struggling with their testimony right now, their reputation. Maybe they're not sold out to Jesus. Maybe they still are kind of hanging, kind of teetering on the fence a little bit. They want the world, but they want the Lord. They want the word of God, but they also want uh, sin in their life. And Lord, I pray that they would just give up and say, I just want Jesus. I just want him. And I want his word and I want his blessing. Father, help us today. And Lord, if there be any that are without Christ today, may they realize that no matter what, it doesn't matter. Christian, not Christian, they're going to face troubles and trials in their life. They're going to have big problems and troubles. And the troubles fly up like the sparks of a fire. And Lord, the truth is those sparks are going to fly and we're going to face troubles and trials, but at least we can face them with hope with Jesus on our side. We know that in the end, Job's life turned out amazingly well. You gave him seven more children. You gave him his oxen, his sheep, his asses, and his camels back. You gave him just the wonderful blessing of a home that was orderly and, and handled decently. And Lord, what a blessing it was and what a blessing he became to others. My Lord, use us, we pray. Meet our needs in Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand, every head bowed, every eye closed as we...